Welcome to the Dead Center Podcast. My name is Nick Hodge, and I'll be your host. We're excited to get this going, and you know, I'm just going to let you know what to expect and what this podcast will consist of and why you should tune in. So we're going to have this release twice a month and, you know, talk about what's going on in the Dead Center world and, uh, you know, the independent um, film world as a whole and kind of centered around Oklahoma and just the local talent we have here. And we're excited to get going. And we're going to be kind of doing like a roundtable of our Dead Center programmers. And today I'm joined by Paris Burris. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. So uh, we kind of let the audience know like who you are and what you do. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Paris Burris, and I am a short film programmer at Dead Center, um, working year-round for uh, continuum screenings that we have that are free to the public. We also have an Oscar-qualifying film festival that takes place in June right here in Oklahoma City every year. Well, awesome, awesome. Thank you for joining me today. And we do have a kind of an exciting interview because... Uh, if you are, you know, aware of Oklahoma film and everything, uh, obviously, like, Killers of the Flower Moon was recently released. And Lily Gladstone, who is in that film, um, who is also in uh, Reservation Dogs and Fancy Dance and a bunch of good stuff lately, um, she's recently in a movie called The Unknown Country that is getting a lot of buzz on the indie film circuit. It's awesome. Yeah, I am so excited. I'm going to see it finally in January. And... Um, yeah, so that uh, film was the director of photography for that. We, um, you know, have the honor of interviewing today. So uh, stay tuned, and here is our interview with Andrew. And how are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. Um, well, let's just dive right in. I first kind of wanted to ask you, uh, how did you first get interested in film? Man, I was always uh, one of those kids that, you know, every Christmas or birthday I'd ask for like a video camera. And back then it was like a little, you know, VHS in the side of a big camera. And I'd make <laughs> little claymation movies or I'd set up fireworks where I'd have action figures and firework explosions trying to recreate like little war movies when I was like nine years old and 10 years old. So, you know, when I ended up going to this engineering high school where all the kids were real, like kind of brainiac math people. And I thought that was what I was going to do. And I kind of realized that these kids were way smarter than me or more adept at doing that, you know? <laughs> and I was like, I like movies. Uh, and my mom's a writer. Uh, oh, she's nice. an investigative journalist. So like I was kind of open to the idea or maybe exposed to the idea that there's like ways to make a living that aren't, just typical you know typical corporate jobs and so i decided to go to ou to study film you know and it was the it was the the craziest decision but also the best decision in terms of where my life is now i couldn't imagine doing anything else for a living you know if there's not storyboards in an email i barely even read it anymore yeah. so we're lucky we set this up. you should have done a podcast and a storyboard and Dang. i could maybe see better, you know? all right next time i'll storyboard it don't worry <laughs> <laughs> well awesome um and so uh, kind of talking about, uh, you know, your time at OU and stuff, like what was your filmmaking experience like yeah. while you were in Oklahoma? So uh, so there's kind of the component of the film school side of it, which then it was called film and video studies. And then there was kind of like we had some production classes, but also there was classes at Gaylord that you would take the journalism school because they kind of had a little bit of a bigger, like a deeper pocket for gear. So you'd mm -hmm. always take one or two classes at Gaylord so you could <laughs> go rent some stuff, you know. Uh, 
but but I loved it. I mean, everybody up there, you know, you have no responsibilities but making stuff. Uh, so that was great because it's a lot easier to do that when you're in a college age than mm-hmm. when you're an adult and you have bills and all that, you know. So because yeah. I was fortunate enough to have parents that could help me with school, you know. Uh, right. So. But I loved it. We shot we shot some film classes. Uh, we shot some just normal videotape classes. But it was before the 5D. It was really like you had a video camera world, and they just came out with 24P. So stuff just started looking somewhat real if you had like a mm-hmm. little handy cam, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got myself a little handy cam, and I built this thing back then called a 35 millimeter adapter, which allowed your handy cam to focus down a tube. And inside that tube, you had a little screen that you bought from like a photo store, and then you could use real lenses on that. And oh, that's how you got uh, depth of field. That's how you got depth of field on your video camera. So your video camera ends up being like, you know, this long with a little tape on the back. You know, yeah. and it was horrible. It would fall apart if you held it wrong, like yeah. weird stuff. But, but there was a lot of fun to try to make your images look better. And then of course, just like film classes, learning how to load film and shoot and edit, uh, you know, with tape and all that good stuff. Uh, but it was a blast. I, I ended up working in the professional film business in Oklahoma too while I was in school. Just whatever would come to town, I'd try to get my I'd shoot. I try to shoot it. Some professors would put my name forward because I was kind of one of the more active kids in my class as far as like shooting stuff on the side and everything like that. Uh, I remember I was an art PA, which is like someone in the art department usually deals with props and like set decoration. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my first commercials working ever, and I it was a nike job with kevin durant and we had a, a wine cellar that was supposed to be instead of wine bottles it was like nike shoes like mm. you'd go down to the commercial and see the shoes you know instead of the wine and it was my job to go to the store and buy all the the nikes you know mm-hmm. so they gave me like a lot of cash like five thousand dollars in cash just buy as many nikes as you can but they do they didn't like i couldn't get a hold on like what size they wanted you know they just needed to fill the shelves so i bought all the shoes in my size and then when they all went back to new york they were like Hey man, we don't care if you return any of this stuff. So I got like 50 pairs of Nike. <laughs> oh, wow. I literally stopped wearing them like two years ago. I'm 36. So like, I, and I did that probably when I was like my sophomore year. So I was like 20. So yeah. I had like 16 years worth of Nikes from that one job, you know, that, that was like in the heyday of commercial waste in terms of money. Like now commercials <laughs> would never allow that. Like yeah. every dollar would be accounted for. The RPA would have to be really on top of it. You know, but back then it was just like, yeah, you want a puffy jacket? Take a puffy jacket. Who cares? You know, this is never going to die. You don't get, you don't get a 15 year supply of shoes anymore as an was, RPA. No, sadly. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. But that was kind of my, uh, those are kind of the initial things in Oklahoma. You know, a lot of, a lot of commercial work centered around the thunder. They had just came in. Mm. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get to work on any narrative stuff up there. It was before any incentives or anything like that, or at least incentives that wanted to hire me, you know, yeah. uh, I shot some B cam and reality TV for a little bit up there, but and eventually my wife, I married, uh, my the girlfriend I had at OU and she got a job for American airlines down in Dallas. And I was like, Hey, this is a good opportunity to go, you know, cook her food, uh, <laughs> while she works a real job you know (laughs) and i sit here and pretend like i have a career you know Uh, the rest is history you know yeah no i remember that era it was like i remember being an extra on like the thunderstruck movie with like kevin durant and like being like whoa this is cool it's like kind of there's a film here yeah for sure yeah yeah um but yeah um uh, so you talked about uh, your time at OU. Like, what was it like going from uh, OU to that like independent film world or commercial mm-hmm. world in Texas from there? Man, it was a lot. I mean, because uh, I love my program 
at OU, but back then it was a little less about uh, commercial, setting you up to like plug and play into that commercial space. And it was more about like, here, let's look at the Coen brothers for two months. Let's look at Scorsese for two months. Let's do these things that were really intellectually fulfilling. And like, you can learn by watching those masters. But at the end of the day, I spent like four years setting up tables and getting lunch and coffee. It didn't really help me learn how to like be an assistant, which is really everybody, no matter where you go to whatever film school, like you can spend as much money on your undergraduate degree. You're probably going to set up lunch and get coffee and take out the trash for a couple of years right. if you're lucky, because that's really the you know building blocks of every department is like somebody doing all the stuff nobody wants to do, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that transition was a little hard. I definitely think I was like all 21 year old film graduates where I was like, why is no one making my script? You know, why am I, you know, I'm a, so I have all these ideas, you know, yeah. uh, even though nobody gives a shit about any of that, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so the transition was a little hard and, and, you know, just the transition of being an adult, you know, when you pursue a life in arts for a career, you know, your friends are getting jobs with like health insurance and money and all these things. And you're at the same time wanting to become an adult, but also like, knowing that you really want to pursue this thing but like it's very slow start in the beginning of film business at least it was for me where like mm -hmm. you got to build your word of mouth network you got to get some skill sets that make you hireable all these things uh so that transition took a while uh i'm grateful i was married that was probably the best decision i made not only because i love my wife but because it allowed me to like not be scared that i only made 200 dollars that month you know which mm -hmm. that was months like that as a pa when you're 20 years old in a new market you know mm -hmm. so right. Uh, so if I have any words of advice to recent film graduates, just marry someone immediately who has a job that isn't in the film business, you know, yeah. <laughs> just move on to them. It'll get good. I promise you the film business is the best thing that ever happened to both to me and my wife. Now it's provided us a great, a great life. Uh, now that I am where I am in the film business, but like mm -hmm. it took a long time to get there, you know, so you got to have some, got to have somebody that, that can, you know, feed you some rice and beans every now and then, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and so we've learned a little bit about uh, your background and some of these uh, memories you have in the film industry here in Oklahoma. Uh, and now you are, uh, I believe your first DP position on a feature was mm -hmm. uh, The Unknown Country, which yeah. Lily Gladstone is the lead in that. She uh, landed an Independent Spirit Award nomination for her role, and she won the Gotham Award for Outstanding Lead Performance, yeah. um, things like that. So it, it's a remarkable movie i just watched it recently a big oh, fan cool. uh but yeah uh, tell us how you kind of got involved with that how did that uh become your mm -hmm. first foray into feature dping yeah so you know i think like a lot of like commercial guys we probably got in the business to like shoot you know to tell stories narratively right but commercials are just such an easier more direct form of like making a living so you kind of get caught in that world so i wanted to start shooting features a long time ago but, you know, just life happens and you start working and you get busy and all of a sudden, you know, I hadn't shot a feature. And I think we started this when I was 31. I was 31 and I hadn't shot a featured narrative yet. And I was like, oh, man, I'd love to do it. Uh, kind of at the same time, I'd, I'd finished this feature doc called Ingrid, which is based uh, on this woman that has built her whole big compound out of stones that she steals from this riverbed. I think it's 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 set right on the border of Oklahoma and Arkansas. And with that director, it was the same director I shot the feature narrative with Marissa. So we shot that doc together, but we sold that to PBS and everything went well. It premiered at Slamdance and had like a good reception and all that. And then Marissa's like, hey, I want to do narrative uh, up in South Dakota. 
with like a thousand dollars, you know? And I was like, oh shit, you know, this is going to be really hard. And this became, like, I don't, I don't think this can happen, you know? Uh, so, but eventually we, we got together and we started shooting the unknown country. And I think we looked the other day and like the first piece of footage we rolled was like maybe 2017 or 2018. And then it's out, you know, it had its theatrical premiere last year. So, or right. actually no earlier this year, right? So that's the scope that it took. It took five and a half years of filming to make that feature happen, you know? Because with low budget movies, like, you know, we'd shoot, it's a, it's a linear story of a, a woman on a road trip. So the great thing about writing a movie like that is that you raise money, you can shoot the next part of the road trip. You raise money, you can shoot the next part of the road trip. Mm-hmm. And then people, get, they see the footage and like, there's a little bit of a stylistic choice in, in the unknown country with these documentary vignettes. And so once all that got figured out uh, structurally and people could see what we were doing, all of a sudden it became a lot more, people were a lot more willing to jump on and kind of help us across the finish line, you know? Uh, but it was it was an amazing process. I mean, it was really hard. We had, I think we, we maybe set a record for, we had the opening scene of the film, it's negative 23 degrees outside and the end of the film in Big Bend, it's 116 degrees. So it was, uh, <laughs> we, still, we did the full planet Earth of, of temperature changes, you know, within one, uh, one, one road trip that took six years, you know, wow. <laughs> to, yeah. to shoot. That and luckily cool. with the road trip movie, it's like she could be driving for five years. Who knows? You know, uh, <laughs> I think in reality, it's a couple weeks, but you know, uh, in real life, it was a half of a, like I didn't have a kid before we started and now my kid is four she's like has opinions and like she saw the movie and like she you know it's like just Mm -hmm. weird to think how long the unknown country's been in my life you know yeah Yeah. it's kind of like the experiences like people are on like uh like you know like tv shows or whatever it's like they almost like grow with the project yeah 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 you start yeah you start and you're unmarried and by season 10 you're married and have two kids and yeah all that that stuff you know um and i have to bring up while we're talking about this film like obviously lily gladstone's getting just you know a ton of acclaim right now for For just you know the talent she is what was it like being you know up and close and personal with her behind the camera man lily is an amazing uh person uh and obviously a lot of our film you know couldn't be made without her support coming on you know she came on to a movie that effectively had nothing but like hey uh here's a director and a dp with no feature work we got this kind of cool idea. Do you want to come get really, really, really cold, uh, (laughs) drive a car that the heater is always stuck on. So even if it's really hot outside, the heat's blowing you in the face (laughs) and you're going to have to like make breakfast. Like she would make the crew breakfast in the morning. Like she's she's just amazing. You know, uh, Lily is, is an incredible person. And I'm so happy that the world, uh, got to see the movie the way that it did. Like, you know, I think obviously killers of the flower moon happening, helped our movie get in front of more eyes, which was great because I, I'm super proud of it and I'm super proud of her and I'm super proud of Marissa's work and Bonner, the editor did an amazing job. Cause we shot, obviously when you shoot for six years, there's a lot of footage that's left out too, you know? Right. So for Bonner to figure out a, a way to keep that pace strong and keep all those moments strong was a, was a hard task to more than the typical editor's job, you know, where they have 30 days of film and that's it. It's like, no, we have, 10 hours of just shooting out of the left side window of a tree, you know, can't even, imagine. <laughs> yeah, find the tree you like the best, you know, uh, but no, Lily, Lily, you know, she's an amazing actor. And I'm so happy that, uh, people are, you know, recognizing that and, and get to see her. And, uh, it's, it's been a real fun as a friend, you know, we became friends obviously through the process. Like it's been so exciting to see her career and her life just become this amazing, you know, every day I look at my phone and on Instagram, it's, her on the cover of Vogue or her on the cover of this. And also her like 
her her work with indigenous people and all that getting a lot more notice now too mm-hmm. because of her kind of celebrity status has been great and i know that's really something super close to her heart so no absolutely i i love that and then um i kind of wanted to ask you uh just in general like because uh you know the story you just told us of you know going from commercial to you know uh having this film with like you know the the world like watching it now uh what advice would you give to like people that are kind of looking to uh break into you know being a director of photography or getting behind the camera or that kind of thing yeah i mean uh man you know you hate to hear the 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 i hated when i was coming up to hear like the old guy be like man just go shoot you know but i i do think and i and i took that advice from when i was a pa i'd ask directors i'd ask you know dps with oscars would come into town to shoot some commercial and i would like be that annoying 20 year old who's like yo man yo man i'd like be bothering them i'd hate that guy now if they did that to me you know uh but hey man what do i and it was always about it's never been easier to just shoot content. Uh, and and the cream always rises to the top as far as like, just keep creating content, have, uh, and it doesn't have to be on an Alexa or a, or a Blackmagic or whatever the camera is. It can be on your phone now. And it doesn't even have to be on your phone. It could be some other piece of art that you could use still images and stitch them together and make that a cool little 15 second piece that goes viral on Instagram or, or TikTok or whatever the next shit that kids come out with, you know? <laughs> but it's like, it's really just about having a voice and, and not making sure that life, if you really want to be, a, you know, if you really want to be in the business, make sure that your life doesn't get in the way of like pursuing those next step goals, you know, because you could I found myself as a PA for five years in the business and I I value my time there. I learned a lot, but also like no one's going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, welcome, you're the we want you to DP the next commercial, right. PA. Mm-hmm. you know, it's it's about uh you know, finding that other PA on set who wants to be a director and he's got some funny ideas or she's got some cool art direction for this music video. So, hey man, on the weekend, let's go shoot this thing. And and that's really what I did was I started shooting uh, behind the scenes videos for commercials kind of for free, right in the dawn of like the digital kind of 5D world. And people would see those videos and go, oh, this looks really cool. Or I'd go shoot a spec with my buddy and people were like, oh, this is, you know, the next time we have a really micro budget commercial, Let's give that kid a try because look what he did for a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. But no one's gonna tap you on the shoulder and announce that, hey man, you're another dude with the camera. Wow, <laughs> you know what a thank God you showed up, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I think, I think you just got to keep working towards it, and and you can't don't be too shy, you know. People want to help you out. People reach out to me all the time, uh, and I put them in contact with producers and put them in contact just to get in the door. No one's gonna hire you if they don't know who you are, you know. The film business isn't a vacuum. You know, it's, you can't exist as an artist in a vacuum if you want to be financially compensated for it. You know, you can make your films alone, and that's great if it's just you know an art experiment. But if you really want to be in the the business and make a living at it, you can be the most talented guy in the world or girl in the world, but you're never going to work because nobody knows who you are. You know, mm-hmm. so even if even show up in PA or show up and do whatever, and you know. That, that's better than you sitting around not working as a DP, you know, because you're you're going to meet people and hopefully they like you and hopefully they like your work. And then that's that's all you can really do. Right. Yeah. yeah it's all about collaboration. Yeah. You got to have everyone see, you know, and, and there's somebody just like you who wants to be an art director. And or if you're a PA, you know, if you're an army of PA sitting at lunch, bitching about lunch, <laughs> like each one of you is going to do something else because every PA I worked with is now a producer that hires me or a director or whatever. So 
just make sure that you guys, you know, keep your head down. It takes 10 years, like every good job and like, just keep working and keep making stuff. And eventually someone's going to, you know, see that hopefully. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, we're kind of, uh, getting to the end of this interview here and we always like to, uh, I mean, this is our first episode, uh, but, uh, we want to end. Yeah. Our first ever episode (laughs) of the death center, uh, podcast. (laughs) So we're going to end on a fun prompt. We, um, are planning on trying to do fun prompts to end with our interviewees. Um, and I got to pick our fun prompt for this episode and, uh, so the prompt that I went with was, what is your favorite, quote unquote, bad movie to watch? Mm-hmm. So Man, this could a, be, you yeah. know, something that has a bad Rotten Tomatoes score, but you personally love it. Or something that's been panned, yeah, yeah. you know, by audiences or critics, but it's a favorite of yours. Yeah, it's like, uh, great question. I mean, because I feel like everybody, I'm a big movie apologist. So like, even if I go <laughs> see a movie that gets smoked yeah. uh, at the box office, or freaking smoked if we're not allowed to swear. Uh, like, I still always go, well, you know what? Like, people showed up and like they got there early and they worked it. And like, hey man, movies are hard to make, bro. Like, mm-hmm. you got to give them a break. You know, yeah. all my friends are like, you can't, you can't like every movie. I'm like, what kind of do like every movie? It's hard, <laughs> movie, bro. I've been alone in the woods, you know. Uh, I'd say, I'd say something super close to my heart. Uh, and now it's almost kind of become cultish. But when I was a kid. Uh, and in my 20s, I had it on VHS and like wore it out to the bone was Tremors, the first Tremors nice. movie. I don't know if you guys have seen Tremors, like a worm, oh, yeah. underground worm thing, you know. But <laughs> and I feel like now there's like marathons on TNT and like all, the, you know, but back then it was like, you know, you had it and you couldn't rent it. It was like you bought it and like nobody knew Tremors. You'd come over and watch it. And it was a very uh, I probably watched it a thousand times. And it, I love that if I could make a like my dream feature would be a feature like that, like limited location, mm-hmm. outdoors, yeah. and you, it's a genre blend, right? It's super, super funny, but also it's scary. And mm-hmm. also, you know, it's got all these great little moments and great little set pieces, but it isn't overly produced. There's not like, there's not really any CGI in it. It's all just like happening, which is amazing. Like now that movie would suck because it would all just be them reacting to nothing. And like, mm. Or isn't this crazy guy in a worm costume flopping around which <laughs> those moments on set are always the funnest moments because like you get to like seeing how the sausage is made is is the fun part of the business right mm-hmm. it's like doing the phantom shoot with the chips rolling down the table and then running over to the monitor to see it play back in 2000 frames to see if the chips rolled just right like that's what gets us all excited about a day in the film business you know so it's like and I feel like make, if I could have, I bet making Tremors was amazing. Mm-hmm. I bet the people who were like, they probably loved it. It yeah. was probably a blast, you know? Like, and you can feel that when you watch it, that it's just a, a super fun movie, yeah. you know? I what about, what are your, what are y'all's, what's the number one bad movie for you guys? Ooh, what do you, what do you got, Paris? Uh, so one that I always go back to, uh, it, it, basically everyone hates on this movie. I do feel like there are, some people who love it but it's it's definitely generally panned and i think it's such a such a bummer that more people don't uh recognize how great batman and robin is uh because oh, okay. i yeah i mean i man you know i i grew up watching that movie and just you know it was uh, something that I loved as a kid growing up, uh, but it's one of those movies I've watched and revisited several times as an adult, and it still is just so much fun. It's so 
ridiculous and colorful and just uh i think that a lot of like the people who hate on that movie don't they, they never have valid reasons okay you just hate sure. you just hate fun okay yeah uh, exactly. so, <laughs> so that what would did you be, want them to do yeah, differently yeah i mean yeah i just love uh, basically all the reasons people point out why they don't like the movie are the reasons i like it sure you know? sure yeah 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 um but yeah it has like an 11 percent on the tomato meter, the audience score That's on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes is like 16%. So, like, I know there are other people who love this movie, too, but it's definitely... Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a million people, you know, if you... If you <laughs> yeah, so that's my <laughs> There's a lot of people in the world, you know. Right, right. What about you, All right, Nick? All right mine's a little bit more recent. Um, okay, so it's Miles Teller and Anna Kendrick, and I, Brian Cranston's in it as well. 2016 oh film called Get a Job. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has like 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and like like you said, uh, Andrew, it's like, you know, respect to the filmmakers. Films are hard to make, but it's just one that like didn't land. But it's a very like, it's going for like a, like a face value, like rom-com vibe that just kind of falls flat. But for no reason at all, there's just like a character, a janitor character in the movie that shows up like twice. And the whole movie's in rooted in reality. And this janitor character is just like, a figment of their imagination that only shows up twice for no reason at all and doesn't really add anything to the movie. What is this, you know? Yeah, but it it doesn't add anything to the movie, but also adds everything to the movie because it just... That's why you like it is to fail. Clearly, that was probably a part of a script that they had more of and never had a hand of it financially or editorially was like, we got to trim this guy out. We got, and yeah. then they, they got two in <laughs> they there. They should have you know, leaned into it. happy yeah. about that. Yeah, like, I, I, they should have leaned into it, like you said. But no, that one always cracks me up because it's like one of those, it's like, it's almost worth watching once just for the janitor scenes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds no, delightful. No, for sure. No, I love when movies, you'll see movies too do, like it becomes really obvious to me when there's reshoots, like, because I can just see mm. the lighting change because they try to match it, but they don't really give a at that point they're like i'm done with this movie you know yeah so there's movies that you'll have these scenes like these masters and shot reverse shot and then you'll go to a new master and it's like a whole different thing and you're like okay what happened why yeah. do we need to read and then i can't not think about that as i'm watching the the new scene because i'm like mm-hmm. what did they delete Cause this is dog shit now mm-hmm. so like what, what was so bad that they thought this reshoot was necessary because this is not good you know yeah yep. this sounds like whenever i watch uh films with like people that aren't in the industry and they're just like can we just watch the film it's like but it's you're like sorry bro yeah, i'm gonna ruin it. but it's once you once you do it it's like you said your brain just operates that way you're like why was this done that way yeah um, you could have done like, yeah with your movie it's like there's such talented people involved mm. clearly whoever directed and wrote it was very talented because they got this thing greenlit, which is impossible. I mean, right. the, the, the likelihood of getting funding to make a movie and make it is like 0.1% chance. Mm. So like, that's why anytime I see a movie, I'm like, man, hey man, it's not the best, but I appreciate the effort, you know, yeah. you guys, somebody probably got divorced making that movie. Cause it's <laughs> like, like, you know, somebody was gone too much or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Somebody lost a relationship, you know, mm-hmm. probably everybody lost their relationship. It's like, so mm-hmm. we gotta, we gotta lay flowers at the fallen relationships of each feature film, you know, because <laughs> that's that's the truth, you know. I love it. I love it. Um, well, Andrew, we thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks sure. for being our first guest ever. And uh, yeah. okay, so the Unknown Country uh, is uh, you know is out for like people to see now. Um, like, what uh, other products do you have coming up, or things you'd like to promote? Yeah. Or so so me and Marissa have our second feature that we finished shooting. Uh, the week before the Unknown Country premiered in New York, we were in South Dakota for the last like another 10 days getting 
all of it made it, and it's it follows a character in so it's kind of like a spiritual sequel it follows a character in the unknown country jazzy who's this little girl uh her phone goes off during the wedding scene i don't know if you remember that paris but so it's it's a feature it's a film with her and it's kind of like a fly on the wall in her life for like a couple of years so we've been shooting it for a long time uh and and it's it's an editorial right now so and i think people are going to like it a lot i saw a rough cut uh a couple months ago now and uh really really liked it and uh my wife really liked it and she's a good barometer for for things because if it's bad she tells me (laughs) (laughs) well awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show and uh we'll talk to you later appreciate you yeah thanks guys thanks nick paris take care thank you And something we also want to make sure we do on this podcast is let everyone know, you know, the latest in Dead Center news and what's going on and, you know, the three branches of what uh, we're doing here at Dead Center. And so for this month of December, we want to talk about the things coming up. And some of those uh, upcoming things are on December 22nd, we'll be having a holiday screening of uh, Make the Yuletide Gay. And uh, our programmer, Lauren Chapman, will be, um, you know, hosting that event. And uh, Paris, what, what what are you excited about for that event and what's that all about? Yeah, this one is a lot of fun uh, because uh, we're going to be showing the movie uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, which if you have uh, seen that movie and never seen it on the big screen, this is a great screening to come out to. Um, And if it's um, one of those movies that's been on your watch list and you've never had a chance to watch it, this is going to be a really fun one to watch with a crowd in a theater. I believe we're going to have drag performances and it's going to be a big event. And Leron Chapman is hosting it. He did last year's uh, screening at Rodeo uh, for this same event, a different movie. And that was a blast. So <laughs> I'm really excited for this. And it's uh, it's free. Ooh, that is, is it. Is it free? I We'll have to check that. But um, yes. last year, I think it was free. So maybe this year it's also free. So we'll double check that. Um, but that's also a perk. Is it? Yes. You know, it's free. So come on out and ha- have a good time watching. But I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everything I've seen about that event, it looks like a really good time. So everyone should come out for that for a good holiday hangout. And another thing that's coming up kind of at the start of 2024 is the Glitterball Chalet, which is Saturday, January 13th. It'll be from 8 p.m. to midnight at the Jones Assembly. And uh, do you mind kind of telling our audience like what Glitterball is all about? Okay, so Glitter Ball is just a giant party that you don't want to miss. It is um, Dead Center's uh, biggest event of the year. It is a fundraising event, so all of the proceeds go towards making you know these uh, free public screenings happen that we do all year round. It helps us uh, be able to put on the festival uh, every year in June. It really, because um, we are a nonprofit, we really... Um, rely on these kinds of events to kind of keep us afloat. So um, what it's going to be is a, it's a called Glitterball Chalet. There's always a different theme every year. And uh, that's going to be very like spy thriller, uh, gowns, tuxedos, uh, kind of like if you think about going to um, like a ski lodge, kind of mm. uh, fancy kind of thing like that. So everyone, you know, dresses to the nines. We dance to music. We uh, have great food and drinks, uh, things like that. So uh, that is going to be January 13th. Awesome, awesome. Well, everyone uh, go ahead and make it out to that. I know Jones Assembly is a great venue for that too because they kind of have their 
um, their outdoor area, the indoor indoor area, and also that fun kind of like cocktail bar upstairs. So it'll be a good a good uh, host for for that event. So we're excited. And then um, finally, like you said, it's a fundraiser for the festival and all, all those things. And um, we're excited for uh, this upcoming year's uh, Dead Center Film Festival, obviously. Can you kind of tell uh, our audience, you know, what to expect for if you're a filmmaker looking for a deadline or maybe even just a consumer curious about uh, the next festival? Uh, yeah, so Dead Center Film Festival is an Oscar-qualifying film festival. It is Oklahoma's uh, largest and only Oscar-qualifying film festival. And what that means is... Uh, we've just been recognized for the high-quality films that we show and um, the live-action uh, short categories and the animated shorts that are submitted and uh, get selected to be in the festival um, are uh, able eligible to um, qualify for the Oscars. Uh, so that's a big deal for our filmmakers. We really want to highlight them, but um, as an audience member, if you've never been to Dead Center, I mean... It is just a blast to go to the parties, um, watch the films. Uh, there's features, there's shorts, there's something for everyone. We have VR, uh, which we're really going to be uh, amp- ramping up. Um, but yeah, that's going to be June 6th through the 9th, uh, right here in the heart of Oklahoma City. And um, uh, something that's really exciting is you can actually, um, because we know that tickets can be really expensive, and you know, someone like me, I, I know that, like, you know, I'm not uh, made of money, so <laughs> I'm always looking for uh, ways to kind of save uh, save uh, my money. So if that is also something you're interested in, too, uh, you can, uh, I believe this is the first time that we've offered this, but there are uh, options for a payment plan. So if you mm. want to get a festival pass um, or something along those lines, then you don't have to pay for it all at once. Uh, in Like in previous years, you can make payments on it. Um, I think that's really important to note because um, I think there are a lot of people who would go if they could afford it, and maybe mm. this can help them out. But yeah, June 6th through the 9th, uh, Dead Center Film Festival, definitely mark it on your calendar and come join us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, make sure to uh, check all that info out at deadcenterfilm.org. And like you said, uh, Dead Center is just such a good time. And it's just fun, the connections you can make at like this festival. Um, In fact, actually, I had met someone at Dead Center's uh, festival two years ago that I like hopped on a call with literally yesterday. So just kind of cool, the connections you can make from from the festival. So definitely check all that info out. And uh, thank you all for joining us. And we will see you on the next episode. This podcast is sponsored by RK1 Studios. Thank you to Randy and Matthew for providing audio services in order to record this podcast. Check out their services at rk1studios.com. The Dead Center podcast intro music is provided by Aaron Newberry of Kid Again Music. Check out Aaron's music at Kid Again Music wherever you find your music on streaming.